0: Well, good morning, y'all. How are y'all doing? You doing all right? Hey, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Tyler Jagan. I'm the lead pastor here at River Run. And uh, if you're new or you're one of our guests, uh, I'm so grateful that you chose to hang out with us this Sunday morning. Uh, Real easy way to kind of follow along with some of the things I'm going to be talking about is write in our worship guide that Nate was talking about earlier. All you need to do anytime is just open up your camera, uh, focus it in on the QR code in the seat in front of you, and then you'll have all the notes right there all handy for you. Uh, it's all going to be up on the screen as well, but there in the, in the worship guide, you have it all right there, so you can look at it all at once. Uh, we are in this series uh, at the beginning of this new year called uh, Make the Most of What You Have Been Given. And so this is kind of the theme, not just for this new series. It's really kind of the theme for the whole year. Uh, What would happen if we were people who during this year made the most of what we have been given? And so this series, what we're doing is just kind of describing a little bit about what do we mean by that? What does that statement mean, make the most of what you've been given? And, and then, you know, what have we been given and how do you make the most of what we have been given? Well, first of all, just kind of the statement, if you kind of think about it, make the most of what you've been given. Um, you probably thought about, you know, somewhere along the line, there's probably been people in your lives who, who said to you, hey, make the most of your opportunities. And it's true. We should make the most of our opportunities but uh, that's not really what we're talking about here as far as this space when it comes to this, uh, this statement, make the most of what you've been given. Uh, maybe you've heard people talk about, hey, you know what, you have gifts and talents and experiences, make the most of those gifts, talents, and experiences. And it's true, you should make the most of those things, but those aren't really what we're talking about either. What we are talking about is we're talking about certain things that God gives us when we put our faith and trust in him. These are certain things that he gives us in order for us to grow in our relationship with him, to grow spiritually, uh, to become healthy, uh, to love others, to serve others, to have an impact in this world. There's certain things that God gives us when we put our faith in him that really is a big, huge game changer. That if we made the most of these things, our lives would change, our relationship with God and with other people would change, and we would have a really big impact in the life of other people. These are things, these are things that God has been giving uh, followers of his for the last 2,000 years. These are things that help people grow and have impact and have influence no matter what period of time that they've been living over the last 2,000 years, and it doesn't matter what country that you live in either. These are things that God gives all believers for the last 2,000 years that helps us to grow, and um, to have influence. And so that's what we're going to talk about. And we're going to talk about how do we make the most of these things. Now, you know, this, this thought comes from um, a letter that, that Peter wrote. It was his second letter. It was his last letter that, that he wrote. Right off the bat, he says this, you know, after his kind of his introduction, he says this in Second Peter uh, chapter 1 verse 3. He says, by his divine power, by God's divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. okay, And we have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and his excellence. So first of all, think about this. God has given us most of the things that we need. No. God has given us some of the things that we need. No. Peter is saying God has given us everything, everything that we need. For godly living. What does it mean to godly living? Godly living means to live in harmony and unity with the Lord. It means a life that reflects God's wisdom and God's love. It is is about how we have influence in the way that we love and we serve other people that we already have. When you gave your life to Christ, if you've given your life to Christ, you already have everything that you need in Christ Jesus to live a godly life. Well, he goes on in verse four and he says this. He says, and because of his glory and excellence, God has given us great and precious promises, not intellectual promises, not, you know, you know, good promises, good advice. No, he says that God has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you. All right. These are the promises that God has given you that enable you to share in his divine nature, to be like him and to escape the, uh, the world's corruption and influence caused by our own human desires that create all sorts of confusion about life, about God, that also creates all of the confusion and hurt and pain in our world as well. But God has given us these great and precious promises that enable us to conquer those things by which we reflect God's wisdom and his love and his influence into this world. And so he says, in the next verse, in verse 5, he says, and because of this, so in view of all of this, here 's the deal make every effort make every effort okay make every effort to respond to god 's promises in other words, make the most of what you 've been given make the most of what you 've been given now what's, what's one of the things that we want to do this year and during this series as well is also to deconstruct some of the things that we think we need to have in order to live a godly life the things that we we feel like we have to have in order to to have you know, change and to be able to worship God. There's, there's certain things that we think we have to have that in reality, we don't really, we don't really need them. And usually these are the things, you know, these are the things that tend to be culturally driven. These are the things that, uh, you know, um, that are nice and they're helpful, but don't really need them. Like what, what would some of these things be? For instance, we just went through COVID And one of the things I recognize just even through American Christianity is how dependent we are on on buildings, okay? That we feel like, I need to be inside because this is where I worship God and I feel connected with God. And since I'm not inside, I'm not connected with God and I can't grow. I need a building. Well, here's the thing. All the gifts that God has given us are the gifts that anybody needs no matter where they are, no matter any time in history of the last 2,000 years. And here's the deal. For the first 300 years of Jesus's movement, guess what? There were no buildings. You know, sometimes it meant in somebody's home. If there was nowhere to meet there, you know where they would go? They would go down by the riverside and they would worship God. They would grow in Christ. They would love each other, serve each other, and, and be strengthened with one another in their faith in the Lord. They didn't need buildings. Some of the other things that we need kind of in our own culture that we tend to think is that we need strong communicators and strong leaders in order to grow in Christ. I need, I need to have this kind of pastor who speaks this kind of way in order for me to grow. And if I don't have that, then I can't grow. Okay, And we see this in our own culture. Like when a, when a pastor uh, who's just incredibly gifted at speaking and he retires, or there's a moral failure or something like that, and they step off, what usually happens? The church usually dies. Why? Because we've created this belief that I need a certain communicator who communicates this way that I can relate to in order to grow. And if I don't have that, I cannot grow. Well, that's one of those, those false beliefs, because here's the thing. I just read to you Second Peter one of the things I love about reading uh, letters from incredible people, especially their, their second or their last one, is what they're doing is they're setting up people to continue to not just survive, but to thrive when they're gone. Peter's going to be gone pretty soon here. And so what he's reminding people is this. It's not about me. Your growth, your spiritual growth isn't about Peter, and it's about, not about my leadership. Because you already have everything that you need in Christ Jesus, and I'm not it. Okay. Paul's the same way. When you think about Paul and the way that he lived his life, set everything up. Because here's the thing. When Peter died, when, 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 um, when Paul died, when John died, when all these incredible leaders were gone, you would imagine and think that the church would automatically dissolve. But guess what? The church didn't just survive. It thrived. You know why? Why? Because what we find in the early church is the early church made the most of the things that God had already given them in Christ Jesus. They made the most of it. So what are some of those things? What are some of those things? that have been shaping and impacting Christians for the last 2,000 years, no matter if it was in the 21st century and 1,000 AD, 300 AD, whether that was in modern day Turkey, whether it is in modern day Iraq, whether it's in the United States, what are the things that God has given all of humanity who put their faith in him that strengthens them and allows them to grow? Well, Caleb talked about one of the very really important ones from last week, right? One of the incredible gifts that God has given us is His Word. That God has given us His Word, by which we should make the most of what we have been given. Now, you know, sometimes, even in Christian circles, we think that, you know what, I really don't really need the Bible. I just need to read somebody who is talking about the Bible, And so we go and reread all these different books, which is nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with going and reading. You can learn some things. But here's the thing. God has always, for the last 2,000 years, has been shaping people's lives through Scripture. In fact, I mentioned about Paul, and Caleb talked about this verse last week. And remember, he's talking to Timothy, and this is 2 Timothy. This was at the end of his life, so he's setting Timothy up. Timothy, here's something that you're going to need, okay, And what you're going to need to pass on because I'm gone and that's okay because it's not about me. The movement was never about me. I'm just being obedient vessel that God uses. But God has given tools to people by which it will continue to grow and have an influence and impact in their lives. And so he talked about God's word in 2nd Timothy 3 16 17. All scriptures inspired by God And it is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and it teaches us to do what is right. It does all of these amazing things in our lives. And so Paul says in the next verse, he says, So then God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do what? Some good works, almost every good work, to do every good work. Would you love to be able to be prepared in any moment, in any time, to be prepared to do the work that God's called you to do in that moment? How do we do that? We would be people who meditate on his word, as scripture says, day and night, that we would make the most out of this treasure. And so really for this series and for this year, we've just talked about what would happen if you really this year said, I'm gonna make the most of scripture. I've kind of made my life about scripture, but what if I really made the most out of scripture. Did you know if you read the Bible only 15 minutes a day, you would read throughout the whole Bible in one year? Not very much. What if you just one year just said, I want to make the most out of this incredible gift that God has given us. So he talked about that last week. So today we're going to talk about something else. It's something that we, when you look through scripture, the reason why we did scripture first is because scripture really lines it out. God in his grace did not just leave us blinded and try to figure it out through Scripture, we we see what God has given us. We've seen who God is, and, and we see what God is doing in and through us. So we see, and one of the things that we see from the very beginning to always to the end, that there is one thing that is most needed in your life more than anything else. And it's not Scripture, but Scripture does point us in that direction. The number one thing that we need in our life is not really a thing, it's a who. That in our lives we need to make the most of our relationship with God. Amen. That we would make the most of Him. That God has given us Himself. And I know that you kind of read that and you're kind of like, well, I already know that, Tyler. I've gone to Sunday school for, you know, for eons and gone to church. And so this is very basic. But let me ask you a fundamental question. Do you really make the most out of the relationship that you have with the most powerful being, period? There's no ever or whatever, just the most powerful being ever. Do you make the most of that relationship that you have with the creator of the universe, who sees all things, knows all things, is wise, and who loves you deeply. Do you make the most out of that relationship? One of the things that we kind of see in our own culture is, slowly, we are making less of God and using God. Did you know back in 2011, 92% of Americans believed that there was a God? I mean, Whatever God that may be, you know, Christian God, or whatever, 92%. In 2017, it kind of dipped to 87%. Uh, 2022, a few months ago, when they did, a, did another survey, it was down to 81%. So it's kind of like doing this, kind of going down, going down, down like that. So it's It's decreasing. And we see within kind of our our own culture that, you know, oftentimes, uh, even as Christ followers, uh, we love God. We think God's great, but we don't really take make the most of him. And so you see just within our own culture, like Tim Tebow, he would kneel down and pray before games and after games. And people would kind of snicker at that and that thing. And then last week when DeMar Hamlin and that tragedy and incredible, just his heart, you know, stopping and everybody got down on their knees Everybody got down on their knees. How many of us do we just kind of go through life and then when something bad happens is when we hit our knees? Uh, God really intended for us to leverage that relationship with them all the time, for all time, for all eternity. That it wasn't just in those moments, but it's all of life. And we're slowly drifting away from that, getting distracted by so many different things. I find it interesting that you see all of these shifts in our cultures about, you know, beliefs in God's engagement with God. But at the same time, like, for instance, you're seeing, like, studies all over the place. There was a study recently that came out that said that 90% of uh, uh, American adults believes that we were in a mental health crisis. U.S. News & World Report just recently did a a, uh, study that... um, That the next generation, Generation Z, is just being completely decimated with depression. That our kids and our children are going through the biggest mental health crisis that we've ever seen in our own country. And when you look at the graphs, when it comes to belief in God, okay? Some of us older people, you know, we still believe in God, we're down there, right? But what you see is a cliff coming down with the younger generation. And the generation is getting younger and younger and younger. is more and more moving away from God. But at the same time, I don't think it's any coincidence, at the same time, you're seeing, you're seeing um, a, a rise and rise and rise in mental health issues through a young generation as they're trying to figure out a life apart from a good, wise God who loves them deeply. And so, what would happen if we were a people not just us in this room, but with our kids and our students, that we would say this year, what if we made the most of God in our relationship with God? He gave us himself, and what an incredible impact that would have. In fact, Jesus said multiple times of how vital that relationship with God is, that abiding, the need to abide in God to get the nutrients that we need for the healthiness of our lives, the wisdom and the love that we need, Jesus said in, in John chapter 17, verse 3, he said it this way. He said, and this is the way to have eternal life. To, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one who is sent to earth. In other words, what he's saying here is this. This is where I want to kind of camp out a little bit. When we read these words, we tend to read the words like eternal life. But G- Jesus is using nuanced words. He's not just talking about life that just goes on forever. He's using terminology that means the fullness of life. Here John uses the Greek term zoe, means the fullness of life. This is the way to have the fullness of life, not just live on forever, but the fullness of life beginning now and going on throughout all of eternity. So would you love to have the fullness of life, right? Every single one of us would love to have the fullness of life. But here's the thing, you know, this is why when we think about and we need to know these type of gifts that God has given us, it will help us out because sometimes we think, man, if I just have that opportunity, then my life is going to get better. But what God says, no, 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 no. I have better gifts than just opportunities because you may not get those opportunities. Well, if I just had that skill set and those talents and those abilities and the experiences that person have, then blah blah blah, blah I'd be happy and all this. And, and God says, no, 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 no. If you have the things that I've given you, it doesn't matter about your skill set and your talents and things like that. Use them. But if you have these things, you can have the full life. And what does Jesus say is that full life? The full life is to know God. Amen. He uses the kind of the Greek word there. John does gnosko, which kind of is it's also a Jewish idiom for sexual intimacy. To know, right? And it's this idea of just profound intimacy. That the fullness of life is really knowing God. We can't know anybody that we never spend any time with, right? We can know about them. We can get some facts. We can maybe get some preconceived notions about them. But we can never really know someone until we make the most of that relationship. And God goes, I've done everything for you so you can have this relationship with me. Because as Jesus said, the fullness of life everlasting is a life of knowing intimately our God. The only true God, not the God that we create in our own minds that's based on our own personal passions and desires and wants, okay? Because that just really confuses us, and that's really one of the reasons why we get in such a mess. But the true God, who he is, what's he about, why he works the way that he works, why he challenges us in the way that he challenges us, okay? That they would know you intimately. And Jesus Christ, the one that you sent on earth, Jesus Christ, the one you sent on earth to die and to sacrifice his life so that way you and I could have those relationships with God and be fulfilled in that. Now when we think about God and one of the things that we need to think about is that, you know, sometimes we just think about, you know, theological God, he's just kind of out there and all of that. And sometimes what we do too with God is we tend to shrink God into our own image. And so we, we think that he's kind of like us. And so you know, or we don't really need him because I can kind of, you know, deal with my life enough to where I don't really need him unless I kind of really need him. And then even when I do need him, there's some things about that I kind of doubt whether he's really going to pull through or do things that, you know, or, or whatnot. Well, let me kind of rest you about God. And let me go back. I want to go back to, um, you know, quite a long ways ago when God first met with Moses and told Moses, here's the deal, Moses, this is what I want you to go do. I want you to go back to, to Egypt, and I want you to go to Pharaoh, and I want you to say to Pharaoh, hey, Pharaoh, hey, let my people go, All right? And Pharaoh, obviously, you know, who were, the, who were Moses' people? It was the Israelites. Who are the Israelites? They're a bunch of slaves. So God just says, hey, hey, you know what? Why don't you go to the boss man, the person who has all the weapons and all the power and all of those things, and you're just a puny little you know, slave you know, people, and you've been that way for generation to generation. Why don't you go to the Pharaoh and just say, hey, let my people go. So obviously Moses had some issues and some problems with like, that. man, that's kind of hard. You're asking me to do a lot. Well, so he's kind of working through these things. And then, but then uh, Moses asked God this question. He goes, okay, so if I go back and I go and I talk to him, and I talk to the people of Israel. Who do I say is sending me? Who do I tell them, you know, that, that is sending me? So it's found here in, in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. And God replies to Moses, This is what you this is who you're to tell them who sent you. You tell them, I am who I am. Say to this people of Israel, I am, has sent me to you. I mean, is that the that is like the best answer? ever. I am. I mean, you, there, there, when it comes to describing I am, you can't even describe me. I just, I am. When you start putting words like powerful, well, you know, you, there's, in our minds, things begin to kind of diminish. You know, when you, when you think about God in certain terms and ter- terminology, but when you say I am, I'm all-encompassing. I, I'm just am. You tell them I am. Okay. Just the power and just, you know, when you think about God and you think about it, when we think about Jesus Christ in the beginning with John, John says, it says this. He says, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God, all right? It's not that God is smart. God is just the Word. He's just truth. It's not that God has truth. He's just true. So it's not even like this level when we think of somebody who has truth and somebody who doesn't have truth, we kind of put them in different levels. No, 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 no. God comes in. And he says, Hey, here's the deal. You know, does God have truth? No, 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 no. You got it all wrong. No, no. It's not that I have truth or whatever. I am truth. I am truth. And it's not because God is arrogant, y'all. It's because he just is true. It's his very nature, It's the same thing when John talks about it in 1 John. John says, God is love. It's not just that God loves. He is love. He is truth. He is power. So when you think about you making the most of that relationship with God, you're making the most of a relationship with someone who is just is, you know, I mean, there's no words that can truly, really describe him except for he just is. I am. He is true. He is power. He is love. So to think that that somebody like that wouldn't have the resources to be able to help us or the resources to be able to have fulfillment or have wisdom, uh, to think that would be false. Because God is true. True. God is love. God is power. And he does love you. and He does have wisdom and all of these things. So it's almost silly that we would make the most out of all the relationships with other people, but never really make the most out of the person who is I am. You know? You have MDs, PhDs, all of these things, which is great, a lot of knowledge, but none of those people are I am's. Okay. I'm a pastor. I definitely ain't. I am. All right. If you're coming to me to solve everything that you need in your life, I'm so sorry to disappoint you, but I will encourage you and walk with you to trust and to follow. I am. And that's not me. Why? Because I've seen it in 20 years of ministry that I don't change anybody. Just when I encourage people to latch on to God and get to know the true God and the intimacy with them, begin to see their life change when they make the most of the relationship with God. And so John goes on, or John says this in John chapter 8, verse 57, about Jesus. He says, the people said, you aren't even 50 years old, Jesus. How can you say you have seen Abraham? And Jesus answered, I tell you the truth before Abraham was even born. I am. Okay? We can say, that's an incredibly arrogant statement, Jesus. Or we can just say, no, he's not being arrogant. He's just stating what is true. It's I am. You need salvation? I am. Amen. You need love? I am. You need wisdom? I am. I am. And I am wants us to have a relationship with him. Now, here's the thing. Ultimately, when it comes to life and the fullness of life, we cannot live with God and we cannot live without God. We cannot live with God because God is, is perfect and holy and we are completely separated from, from, uh, because of our sins. But we cannot live without him because as Paul wrote in in Romans, in his first chapter of Romans, we are a hot mess when we try to figure everything out on our own. We just mess everything up and everything just gets convoluted and confusing. And the selfishness and all of these things really began to create a a lot of hurt and pain in our lives. And that is why that God is highly, 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 highly invested in us to have a relationship with him because he knows he is the greatest asset and resource in our lives. And Paul knew this as well. In Romans chapter 5, Paul wrote, and he said this. will not you go there? Romans chapter 5, verse 10. Uh, For since our friendship with God was restored, because we were separated from God, by the death of his son, Jesus Christ, Took our punishment. He's the one who meted a, he took the the, uh, the penalty for our sins for us, so we didn't have to through our faith in Christ. So by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. And so verse eleven, Paul goes on and he says this He says, So now we can rejoice. Why can we rejoice? Well we can rejoice because we have this wonderful relationship with God. Why? Not because of anything that we have done, but because of our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends with God through the blood sacrifice, Son Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ didn't die for us just so that way we can live forever. Jesus Christ didn't die for us just so that way, you know, when we're having a bad moment that we can come to God. He died for us so that way we can make the most Out of the most satisfying, strengthening relationship that we could ever have. And that's with our God. So when we think about this year, my hope and my prayer for me, as I'm walking this out, and hopefully for us as we do it together as a church family, that we would continue to spur one another on towards love and good deeds, and we would encourage each other, getting together, encouraging each other to continue to make the most of our relationship with God that he has given us. Or as a writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 4, 16, he writes this, he says, so let us come boldly, let's come boldly to the throne of our gracious God because it will be there that we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us, in the, in the, help us when we need it most. And guess what? We will also find it when maybe we don't need it most. We'll just have it. All throughout scripture, we see that so much of our internal oxygen that allows us to breathe is in the knowing of our relationship and that intimacy, that relationship with God that comes together in that that intimacy of, of knowing him and of that spending time with him by which we're learning about him, we're, we're growing in our trust with him, and we're stepping out and saying, okay, I kind of get it, and, and we allow him to, to reveal things to us in our lives by which we find that he's safe, and we begin to give those things that maybe we didn't want to give back to him in order, you know, and, and then he uses it to, to continue to help us to flourish and, and to grow and, and to have influence in this world. So 2023, there's one thing that you can make the most of this year, and really for the rest of eternity, is make the most of your relationship with God. So in this moment, what we're going to do is we're just going to transition to uh, continue on in our, our worship here. It's just responding to that. Maybe that's through prayer, just sitting where you are and just saying, hey, God, who are you? I don't even know whether you're really there, but you know what? I'm willing to at least kind of step out and and to see if you're there in order to to see whether, you know, I should make the most of you, relationship with you. Some of you, maybe God kind of nudges you. We're going to have uh, some people on the cross on both sides over here. Some of our prayer leaders, elders and their wives and, and to be able to go and just pray with somebody. Maybe God nudges you to say, hey, you know what? I just want to pray. And here's the thing. You don't need to have something big going on to go talk to God about stuff. It might be a wonderful time just to go up there and just pray with somebody. It would be wonderful. They would love it. And over there on the sides, you'll see where the candles are. There's communion as well. Just to remind you that God has done everything and would do anything to have a relationship with you. In fact, he came into this world and gave up his body, which is the, the, uh, the wafer and shed his blood, which is the juice, for the forgiveness of our sins and to bond us into a relationship with him forever. What a beautiful gift. And in the back, too, you see those um, offering baskets. For those of you who weren't here last week, we kind of changed things up. We recognized that we wanted to give space, too, where our our heart's moving towards faithfulness in God and generosity and trusting in him. We wanted to make that also part of more of a part of just that worship. And so for those of you who give online, there's a lot of people here. If you see those baskets, just say, hey man, thank you God for the gifts in my life and the way that you've given to me. And those gifts I pray that you would use to have influence in other people's lives as well. It's also there for those of you who who love to come and and just spend that time to worship the Lord. And there's something active in that, that you put something in there. It's just say, I love you Lord, in that kind of way. And and you can pray over that as well. And so Father, as we just kind of disperse and spend some of this time, just to take this deep dive in our relationship with you as you're stirring within our hearts to pray, to pray with someone, to, to commune with you through communion and to offer our thanks and, and our generosity to you, God, that, uh, Lord, we would just also, real, more than anything, just open up this space to allow you, through your spirit, just to, just to speak into our hearts, God. This would be a time that we would just really connect with you. It's in your son's name I pray, amen.